our Father and our God. We wish to lift up to You some praises and some prayers that have affected all of us. Even before us, we have Carol who just is getting over uh, having a stroke. Her strength isn't up to par yet. We can see that. But her heart is fully engaged. I ask that you would continue to touch her. Thank you for Judy ministering to her this morning. But I pray, Lord, that you would touch Carol's life and give her a strength that goes even far beyond what she can even begin to imagine or think. I pray then too, Lord, for Ernesto Forteza, who just had surgery on a, one of his toes that was not healing. And of course we know that he has sugar diabetes and, and things of that nature don't heal that fast. And well, we thank you for the success of the surgery and we pray for Marlene as she ministers to her husband in bandaging and, and just administering things that he needs for the healing process. We pray too, O oh Lord God, for uh, Donna Peckhart's aunt who her, her liver transplant was successful. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would give her strength throughout her recovery time. Thank you, Lord, for also for ministering to Sandy Weaver's uncle. And yet, Lord, this week there seems to have been some kind of a setback. But Lord, his, his heart and his mind and his soul is focused upon you. For it's been His continual saying, His continual prayer that Your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, we lift these to You and asking, dear Lord, that You would bless them. And our dear brother Chad Hauser, as young as he is, but yet now as being incapable because of a slip disc and a pinched nerve. He's not moving that well. But again, Lord, I thank You that physicians, therapists are there to help. And may You bless he and Colleen as they wait upon You for His healing. And we pray for His strength, Lord, even patience, even during this time. And for these things, O oh Lord, this morning, we thank You. And as we come to Your Word to finish a portion that we started last week. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be pricked with the truth of Your Word. In such a way, Lord, allow that to happen that our lives would be changed. And may Your Word find good soil to plant itself that would bring forth even greater fruit than we can begin to imagine. And so God, this morning... And give us strength when we're weak. And give us knowledge when we don't understand. Help us to speak well this morning of You, Lord. And we'll praise You and thank You in Your name.
Amen. <laughs> Just in case you may not, you may not be uh, aware of the fact that the reason I said I wished it was a Betsy Ross tie because apparently there is a, a movement that is going in our country whereby the Betsy Ross flag now has been equated with a swastika. And it's all been spearheaded by an individual, a former NFL football player who really only had one good year in the NFL, and from that point on, he's not played and he's not employed. Uh, too bad. But he has made the statement that as the company that endorses him, on the back of a pair of sneakers, they began to manufacture sneakers that had a small Betsy Ross flag on the back of their sneakers. And that's why they decided that because of this one individual, they would take all of that off the market and not going to make them anymore. Well, that's their problem. But all I know is I will never buy another thing that has N-I-K-E on it. That's the way it is. They can, and I, I don't mean you have to, I understand that because they're out there and supplying a lot of sports things, but I know that I don't need to buy anything. I can't run anymore because of two artificial hips, so what do I need a pair of running shoes for? <laughs> I don't play basketball anymore because of two artificial hips, so what do I need basketball shoes for? And definitely, I'm not getting a shirt or a sweatshirt that has N-I-K-E across it. That's not going to happen. And, and so, um, they've changed the rules in midstream. And it's time we bring them back to reality. Can I get an amen? It's time to stand up. It's time for the church to stand up and say, enough is enough. Because I really feel that there's going to be a day, if we don't do something, there's going to be a day when even the cross of Jesus Christ is going to remind some people and it's going to be offensive to them and they're going to want them all taken down. Then there's going to be a time when the gospel is going to be looked at as being offensive and it's going to be illegal to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, dear people, please promise me you'll come visit me in prison because I'm not about to give up. And so it's time to stand. And, and I say this with all due respect. If you don't like the country, then leave. Then leave. It has nothing to do with James chapter 2. <laughs> but in a way it does. Because as we said last week, we all have in us a vein of partiality. I've just shared with you one of my new veins. And it is a river. I will not buy anything that has N-I-K-E on it ever again. That's not going to happen. I'm very partial to that. As I said, we don't buy sugar-coated cereal for our house. You don't put 11 grandchildren in an enclosed area and give them sugar. You just don't do that. 
So we don't do that. So we have due partialities. But that's not what James is talking about here. He's not talking about cereal nor sneakers. He's talking about people. And in fact, he, he tells this first century church that there's a problem. And the problem is, is that you are showing or you are being prejudiced against an individual that is either rich or poor. And we looked at that as, as we looked at last week, we looked at the command that don't do that. And, and we tied that with in 1 Samuel, where um, Samuel went to anoint the new king of Israel. And he went to the house of Jesse, and all the boys were lined up, and Samuel was certain that the first one, the biggest one, was going to be the king, and, but God said no. And he went down, all of them, God continually said no, and he says, is there one more? Oh yeah, the runt is out in the field watching sheep. Bring him in. And that was David, who Samuel anointed by God to be the king. And the reason being that God spoke to Samuel the way he did is because God said to him, man looks on the outside, but I look at the heart. And, and that's what I think James is getting to. We make, if you will, judgment calls on just how individuals look, just how they act, and just how, if you will, they live. And yet we don't have any idea about their heart. In fact, what I really think that James is getting close to here and trying to exude upon this first century church is this, is that service for God is a very sacred thing. He ends chapter 1 by giving to us a description of what he says. If you want to know what re true religion is, here it is. You take care of the orphans and you visit the widows and I would even say slash widowers. You take care of them. That's what true religion is. That's service. And then he starts chapter 2 by saying, my brethren, we got a problem. You're missing out on what true service is all about because you're making judgment calls upon whether an individual has a lot of rings and a nice yellow suit or an individual who is dressed in shabby clothes. Now, what James is not saying is just as important as what he is saying. He's not saying to discount all of those who are dressed well and uphold only those who are poor. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is treat people like God would treat people. In fact, isn't that our problem? We don't serve people the way that God does. In, in John chapter 3 and verse 16, the, one of the, the key verse. Of, of all the Word of God, in fact, I even claim it to probably be the, the most important verse in the whole Bible, 
Billy Graham called it the gospel in a nutshell when he said that God so loved the world that He gave. The gospel is accessible to anybody and everybody. And when we start highlighting that we only respect people on the outside instead of looking what God can do for them on the inside, then we have a problem. That's the command. James is saying, don't do that. But then he draws a comparison. Let me read for you that passage that that James is talking about here as he writes this particular sermon to the church. He says, in in verse 5, let's pick it up. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? There's the contrast that James is speaking of. The contrast is this. God is not a respecter of people. You might remember when Jesus was on this earth, there was a rich ruler that came to him and said, I want to to follow you. And Jesus took him through a litmus test. And the litmus test started with, okay, have you done this, 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 and this? And the guy said, I've done it all. I'm at the top of the list, man. I am... A1 grade. I'm there. Then Jesus said, okay, here's the next part. All that you have, sell it and give the money to the poor and then come follow me. What happened to that rich ruler? He walked away. And then the disciples said, what just happened? And Jesus said, well, It's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to come into the kingdom of God. Now, you can take that illustration a couple of different ways. I don't know if Jesus was speaking of a literal eye of a needle, Because in that case, no rich man is going to get in there. Because there's no camel that can get through an eye of a needle. I'm at that age now that i got to hold that thing right up here. But what there was in the fortress, if you will, of Jerusalem in the wall, there was a, a little door that was called the eye of a needle. And for a camel to be able to get through there, in fact, even for a human being to be able to get through there, they had to bow to get in. A camel had to have all of its earthly weight taken off. And then the camel had to go on its knees to get through. 
I think that's what Jesus was speaking about. In other words, you can't take all the weight of the earth to get into the kingdom of God. And you can't come in boastfully and proud. You have to bow and trust Jesus Christ. And so James is pointing out that you have two systems of economic growth. One's very good and one is not. But in the realm of God's grace and mercy, they are on level ground because God sees them differently than we do. Jesus said, John 14, verse 6, all familiar to you, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. doesn't matter who you are. No one. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, all must come this exact same way through Jesus Christ. But when the church in this first century was making this, if you will, differentiation between the two classes, they were literally going against the commandment of God. You might remember, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is approached by a Pharisee. And the Pharisee asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? See, what he was looking for was an in. If I keep the, the best one, I'm going to be okay. All the others, they, they're, they're not as good as this one. What's the best one? Do you remember what Jesus told them? It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, in case you wanted to turn there, but you don't need to. It was written by Moses many years before Jesus spoke, but that's kind of okay because Jesus is the Word. He already knew it. And it says this. Moses, by God's direction, said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. But Jesus added one more, and with all your mind. Every part of you, you shall love the Lord your God. And then he continued on and said, oh, by the way, there's an addition to that. That's located in Leviticus chapter 19, and verse 18, where it says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now you remember that the Pharisee thinking he got Jesus. Don't you ever find that kind of funny? They're thinking physically and Jesus is speaking spiritually. And the Pharisee said, okay, who's my neighbor? <laughs> then Jesus relates the account of the Good Samaritan. All the religious people passed by the guy who was beat up. But the Good Samaritan took care of him. 
The reason I know that that might be what James is thinking is because he writes for us in chapter 2, and certainly down in verse 8, when he says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. And that phrase, the royal law, is the key to understanding what James is talking about. What is the royal law? The royal law is given by the king. And the king of kings, I just shared with you, told you what the royal law is. Love God with all you got. And love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that a picture of what true religion is in, in James chapter 1, the closing verse? This is true religion. In other words, dear people, what James is talking about is this. Unless we get off our high horse of spirituality and get down to minister as God wants us to minister, if you stay on that high horse, you're never going to be able to serve other people. If we think that we have a corner on heaven, we're going to be severely disappointed. If we think that we are the best thing that ever came to the kingdom of God, we are going to be severely disappointed. Because God looks at the heart. And if we don't love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength, we will never be able to serve other people. Have you ever been to a restaurant where your waiter or waitress doesn't want to spend time with you. Maybe they've had a miserable day. Maybe you've caught them at, right at, at, at the last part of their nerve for that day. And you can tell right off the bat what kind of service you're going to get if they come to you Give them your name or their name to you and then say, what do you want? <laughs> uh, and I love to mess them up. Because I tell them, sounds like you've had a bad day. I'm sorry. How may my family serve you? You've just hit them like deer with the headlights. Where are you coming from? That's what James is getting at. Be a blessing to people. No matter what. The comparison is, don't these rich people haul you into court 
Don't they treat you like dirt? And here's the clincher. Don't they even blaspheme the name of our God? I wonder if our national and state representatives need to be reminded of that. It's not about the Betsy Ross flag. It's about losing respect of God and who He is. The church, the early church, and this problem, they lost. They began to lose the respect of who God is. They forgot from whence they came from. (laughs) Oh, may we never do that. I'm no better than you. And just because I wear a tie and I'm thankful for these fans going on, that I can stand underneath that because I don't see anybody else porting the jacket. Don't make me any better than you. I'm just hotter than you. (laughs) But when we lose that, when we forget what God has done for us, we begin to treat people like dirt. But James ends this particular uh, treatise here, this particular paragraph in in his preaching by sharing with us the condemnation, which is this. Verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you want to serve people, this week, VBS people, if we want to serve these children, we got to lose the attitude that we're better than them. We need to see them as God sees them. We need to love them like God loves them. We need to minister to them as God would minister to them. And we need to do that to our neighbors too. Our next door neighbors. Someone wrote these words when he said, the three hardest acts in the world are neither physical feats or intellectual achievements, but moral acts to return love for hate, to include the excluded, and to say, I was wrong. That's what James is looking for in the first century church. And if we can take this message and bring it to us here in the 21st century church, I think it would be the same. Serve people the way God 
has served us. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to deal with a tough issue. It was so tough, it was so difficult that Martin Luther highlighted the book of James as being nothing more than an ecclesiastical straw. Because in chapter 2, verse 14, to the end of that chapter, James starts to talk about faith and works. I think there's been many misleading and misunderstanding of this passage. But I think if we can just walk through it, you realize really what James was talking about. And Martin Luther, when he got to heaven and met James, he said, man, I missed it. Yeah, you did. But I hope and I trust we won't here at Grace Community Church. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning that you're looking for servants who have a heart to love you, a strength to serve you, a mind to contemplate with you, but a soul that is committed to you. And I ask, O oh Lord God, that as we've already made mention of, Lord, this week is going to be a transforming week in the lives of not only the children, but those who will serve them. And so may you receive all the honor and the glory and the power and the dominion both now and forevermore. And it's the name of Christ we pray. Amen.